At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Former Brody Low, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Discuss Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Going to be joined by Blake Lovell. I know that many of you guys have been asking me about these SEC hires, and we're going to be diving into some of the more impactful ones with them, along with the chances that Arkansas has of being able to upset Gonzaga and just what we wound up seeing with Kentucky and whether or not we should be overreacting or not, and also the lack of success that the SEC has had during the NCAA tournament. Is that perhaps sort of tied into the fact that teams at home wound up having a big advantage this year. So we're gonna have a nice com- so we're gonna have a nice conversation in the second segment with Blake talking about all that and then in the final segment gonna give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we had some bank shots first things first. Always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. Maybe does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're going to be able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five star review. Main thing that many of you guys have been asking about is a lot of these coaching hires. I've answered a lot of those on social media. We're going to be talking about the the ones from the SEC today, and this is a podcast that is going to be going into off-season mode pretty much once we wind up getting the Final Four, obviously, so breaking down those games, but we are very close to being into uh, off-season mode. From there, we'll be talking a lot more about these coaching hires. Transfer portal is going to be hot and heavy, so we are certainly going to be addressing that all throughout the off-season because unlike many podcasts, this is one that we keep on rolling 365 days a year. On leap year, 366 days, so have no fear there. We're going to be addressing this all throughout the offseason. Like I said, we're hitting the SEC today with Blake. We're going to be hitting upon more of the Northeastern hires with things like Archie Miller going to Rhode Island in future days as well. So that is all coming up on the podcast. And what else is coming up on the podcast? What we wound up seeing in college basketball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. One half of the NIT is set. You had St. Bonaventure take down Virginia by a count of 52 to 51 as the Bonnies, they wind up railing from down five with about 230 remaining and they are able to get the job done by a count of 52 to 51 and the reason why the Bonnies were able to, they go 9 of 9 at the free throw line. The gentleman that wound up having the missed free throws against St. Louis Kyle Lofton, redemption. 
three of three at the free throw line and balance scoring for the St. Bonaventure starters. He wound up having Oshuno Shuni, 10 points. John Holmes, 10 points. Dominic Welsh, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Kyle Lofton, 9 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. Jalen Hadaway, 9 points. So you wound up having all these guys really doing their part. Everyone except for Hadaway, by the way, at least 5 rebounds. And for Virginia, they missed a pair of free throws late that really costed them. You wound up having Virginia win the battle on the glass, 35-34. to But for St. Bonaventure, even though they went 3-15 of from 3-point range, it was made free throws turned out to be very very critical in this and for Vanderbilt they had a chance to be able to go to the NIT Final Four but they wind up blowing it late. Xavier able to get the job done 75 to 73. Vanderbilt was up by a count of 66 to 57 with about 530 remaining and then they were just unable to close this game out as Vanderbilt they do wind up shooting right around 44% from floor Xavier, what they were able to do a good job of is being able to take care of the ball. Just 10 turnovers for them. Vanderbilt, you did wind up having Scottie Pippen Jr. go off for 28 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. But with that said, also a Vanderbilt team that they typically try to get a little bit more out of turnovers. They were unable to do so. And Xavier was playing this game without Paul Scruggs. He is done for the year with a torn ACL. And they are still able to persevere, survive, and advance in this one. Speaking of being able to survive and advance, you wind up seeing the CBI go down in UNC Wilmington did that against Northern Colorado, 80-64. A Northern Colorado team that is one of the best three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. 9-27 in this one, and for UNC Wilmington, they are now in their last 27 games, 23-4, and and they are a top-five cover eight team with that regard ever since that time span as well. You wound up having Jalen Sims go out for 17 points, five rebounds for Wilmington. Not a lot of threes taken, but they went 5 of 12 from three-point range, 15 of 18 at the free line, 9 of 15 for Northern Colorado. And for Wilmington, great job of taking care of the ball. Four turnovers to Northern Colorado's 10, so they get it done. And then they are going to be joined by Middle Tennessee in the CBI final. Middle Tennessee actually winds up falling down quite significantly dabbling Christian as they were down at one point in this game, 46-35 to 35, with about a minute left in the first half. And then Abilene Christian wound up giving up a 21-4 run towards the end of the first half into the second half, and Middle Tennessee pulls away from there. 85-69 the final. Josh Jefferson out of the fold for Middle Tennessee, but who was in the fold for Middle Tennessee? Donovan Sims, 17 points, 5 assists. Middle Tennessee has collected 56.5% shooting from the floor and for Middle Tennessee. They face an Abilene Christian team that is number one in all of college basketball. In terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, they won the turnover battle. 16-12 to 12 Middle Tennessee did. And for Abilene Christian, they went 8 of 19 for 3-point range, 21 of 27 at the free throw line, but once again lost the turnover battle. They actually win the rebound battle by a count of 33-25, to 25. but Middle Tennessee sharing was caring for them. You wound up having Cameron Weston off the bench. Nine points, nine assists, five steals as you wound up having 19 assists in total for Middle Tennessee. So they got it done there. And then Southern Utah, they go on the road and they make the College Basketball Classic semifinals. They take down UTEP 82-69 to as UTEP, they allowed Southern Utah to go 10-23 from three-point range. Wound up having an absolutely massive performance here from Nick Fleming, a guy that averages 2.2 points per contest and not gotten into double figures all year long. 
15 points in the first half on 4 of 7 three-point shooting. Sully Boehm was able to give you 25 points for UTEP, but for UTEP, they wound up losing the rebound battle by kind of 38 to 27. You wound up having UTEP only turn the ball over five times in this game. They were able to force 14 of Southern Utah as well, but for UTEP, they only shoot 37.5% from the floor. Southern Utah able to be much more efficient than that, making 58% of their shots. And if you're looking at college basketball, just with what we've seen over the last seven days in general. So really dating back to the first four until now across all tournaments. We haven't seen underdogs doing quite solidly. 49-42 and one against the spread, though Vanderbilt wound up losing outright. They did wind up being able to cover the spread, and we've seen a lot of overs in these lesser tournaments. As right now, 52 overs, 40 unders across college basketball in the last seven days. So that's what we've seen from a standpoint of that side of things in college basketball in general. Now coming up next, we're going to be joined by Blake Lovell. We're going to be taking a look at Arkansas, their chances against Gonzaga in the Sweet 16, along with some of the coaching hires that we've seen in the SEC. And does perhaps the SEC have a little bit of a home court disadvantage when it comes to the NCAA tournament? That's up next right here on Coast to Coast Soups with myself, Craig Eves Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is great to be joined by our guest as this man does a terrific job of not just covering the SEC, but covering all things college basketball. He's over there with Blue Ribbon Yearbook as an assistant editor for them. He does great coverage of the SEC for Southeastern 14. You're able to follow them at 14, the number 14 Southeastern and it's been very, very busy taking a look at all these coaching moves that we've seen out there in the SEC as he's been busy all March long, as it is Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast. You're able to catch him on the Marching to Bandits podcast, the Lockdown SEC podcast. list goes on and on of this gentleman's great work, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at the Blake Lovell. That is all together with the same spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. And Blake, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, always enjoy it, Greg. Like you said, busy time with the tournament going on, but uh, much busier than usual, especially in the SEC this offseason, given all of the changes coaching-wise. Quite a few there. And we're going to be getting into the NCAA tournament games in a few minutes, but this is a podcast in a few weeks. Once the nets are cut down, we're going to be going in offseason mode, looking at, like, coaching moves, the transfer portal, what have you, and you just mentioned it. We have seen six coaching changes thus far in the SEC within the last week. I mean, you wound up having Matt McMahon of Murray State and Don Golden do battle while they were at San Francisco and Murray State, respectively, a couple nights ago. Now they both coach in the SEC, so that's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. But (laughs) out of all these six coaching moves that we've seen, Mike White to Georgia, Todd Golden to Florida, Chris Jans to Mississippi State, Dennis Gates to Missouri, Matt McMahon to LSU, Lamont Paris to South Carolina. At some point, I think that perhaps we might wind up seeing Larry Brown get one of these coaching jobs as well. But out of all six of these, which one do you think is going to make the biggest impact on the program? Which I know that that's a tough one to answer. Well, you know, Greg, there's one guy you and I have been talking about for a couple of years now yeah. who had some success. And, you know, I tell you, Missouri fans, uh, you know, initially, I think we're not very thrilled with the Dennis Gates hire. Because as you know, Greg, every fan base, I especially understand it for Missouri. I mean, that's a program that really wants to get back where they were many years ago, you know, winning a lot of games, competing for championships and This hasn't happened in a long time. And I think that's one that initially, when they heard that, it may not have necessarily had the insight that you and I have had on Dennis Gates and and what he was able to do at Cleveland State. I think he'll be successful there. I'll be honest with you. The the first one that comes to mind of that group, it's not that crazy to think, but when you really look at it, 
I think it has to be Mike White just because I don't know that Mike White's going to raise Georgia to being a, a top five team in the SEC every single season. But I think when you really dive into it, if he can just get Georgia to being in the middle of the pack, at least initially at some point, you know, in the next couple of years, I think that's a big success for a team that just lost 26 games and has really gone nowhere the past several years. And I've always said, I think the biggest issue for Mike White of Florida was not necessarily Mike White. I think it was just the pressure and the expectations of the job. So I think he's going to do well there. And I'd be surprised if, you know, that isn't a program that is sort of just stabilized by Mike White. And I've always thought he's a very good coach. It's just, again, as we said, Greg, the issue has been consistency at Florida. This team's there. And there were some things out of his control. And again, there were a lot of expectations. So quite frankly, I may put Mike White at the top of the list just because I think he's really got a chance having a lot of experience. And let's be honest here. There are only three coaches in the SEC now, Greg, and I'm going to put this stat out. You and I are recording I'm going to put this out in a bit, but there are only three coaches in the SEC that have been there longer than four years in their current job. So when you consider that Mike White was had seven seasons at Florida, now he's going to make the transfer portal switch to Georgia. I think that votes well for him because he does have the same level of experience in the SEC as Rick Barnes. You know, almost the same as Bruce Pearl. I like it. I think it actually works out well for Georgia, a program that is just completely bottomed out. So I may actually put Mike White at the, at the top of that list. And even though people may be calling for his job, we are not going to see Kentucky fire John Perry <laughs> over one game. So we can all let that one rest as we do have Blake Lovell joy to be on the podcast. And Blake, how surprising was it that Kentucky wound up bowing out in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Obviously it was, but I take a look at it. And I mean, we've seen a lot of top coaches wind up losing some of these NCAA tournament games. Coach K has experienced two of them in the last decade, the Mercer and Lehigh. And you take a look at it. Obviously, you wound up having Florida lose to Oral Roberts last year. Arkansas very nearly lost to Oral Roberts last year. So the list goes on and on. I feel like the loss for Kentucky was bad, but I don't know if it's as cataclysmically bad and just as much of a stain on the program as a lot of people made it out to be, especially we saw St. Peter's wind up winning by double digits in the round of 32 as well. Yeah, I tell you, Greg, it's, it's a very interesting business we're in because you understand how this works. And I mean, right, let's think back to the Kentucky team. What were they, 38-0 in that game leading yep. up against Wisconsin several years ago? And you can go 38-0, but it's the one you lose in the tournament that everyone's going to think about and everyone's going to talk about. And fair or unfair, that's just how coaches are judge now. And I've always said, Greg, over a 30-something game regular season probably tells me a lot more about a coach's capability than it does just in a tournament setting. Although the problem with that is fans want to compete for championships. And so the tournaments are really what give you the biggest chance to do that. Yes, regular season championships are nice. But if you ask Auburn right now, it's, hey, would you rather have the regular season championship or would you rather have perhaps a shot at the national title? And we know what that's going to look like. So listen, it's one where John Calipari knew when he took that job, the expectation, and quite frankly, Greg, it's not realistic anymore. This is not the John Wooden era of UCLA teams. You can't win a national championship five or six years in a row anymore. And if you can point me to an example of someone doing that, because it hasn't been done in a very long time. And I think the issue is, you know, with Kentucky, and I'm not saying this necessarily Kentucky fans' fault because it's kind of ingrained in them now because they have had so much success throughout, you know, the history of their program. But the expectation every single season is to win the national championship. As we've seen, I mean, look at all the teams that have popped in and won national championships over the past decade or so. And it's hard to do this year in and year out and navigate through a tournament that, I mean, really, Greg, it's like, why do we love the NCAA tournament? Well, 
It's because there are so many upsets and there are so many things that you cannot predict when it comes to this event. And so, yeah, a very disappointing loss for Kentucky, but I'll say this, and I know you as a better, you know, someone who understands, sometimes I think it is probably worth a look for some of these teams down the stretch that are not playing well going into the NCAA tournament. And Kentucky was one of them. Auburn was another one in the SEC. Now, Tennessee, they had a tougher matchup, I think, just because they were playing so well, but they just ran into a Michigan team that happened to play really well. But Kentucky and Auburn were not playing their best basketball in the final couple weeks of the season. And maybe there was something to that going into the NCAA tournament. So it's a tough job in Kentucky, probably the toughest job in the country. But they're not happy. But uh, I don't think John Calipari is getting fired tomorrow. So Yeah, no, I would not be firing John <laughs> Calipari over one loss. Certainly you don't want to be losing to a team named the Peacocks in the NCAA tournament. But with that said, it doesn't wash away what John Calipari has been able to do at Kentucky and the way that he's been able to navigate that program. As we do have Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast and Blake, we do have one team from the SEC still in the NCAA tournament, and that'd be Arkansas. They are there for back-to-back years. Last year, they want to make it the Elite Eight, as we know. Now they're going to be matched up with Gonzaga. No question, this is going to be a tough matchup for Arkansas. I don't think that they're going to be able to get the job done, but I'm seeing the line out here in Vegas at 9, and I think that that's a little bit too lofty. I think that Jalen Williams is actually going to be able to match up with Chet Holmgren, a guy that's six foot ten, very versatile in and of his own right guy that doesn't necessarily shoot threes well, but is a guy that's capable of being able to shoot threes. And I do take a look at this Arkansas team, one of the best in all of college basketball on defense. They're sort of like Gonzaga in the way that they wind up playing very fast. They look to get a lot of shots inside. They're not necessarily a team that's going to be casting away from three-point range. And I think that Arkansas is going to be able to give Gonzaga a good battle. Once again, I don't think it can get the job done outright, but I think that this is going to be a relatively close and nip-and-duck game. Yeah, I think it's an interesting matchup for sure. And Jalen Williams is the key to me because really, you know, what sparked Arkansas's turnaround this season A lot of it came because of Jalen Williams and his ability just to give them an inside presence that they just don't have anywhere else. Like he is just the guy on their team that can do the things that really a lot of other players cannot do and and perhaps everyone on their team cannot do. And I think what's been important for him, especially over the past couple of weeks, I guess, he has stayed out of foul trouble. Now, there was a stretch there where, you know, towards the end of the season, yet he still was able to play 30 something plus minutes. And I think it was just because, hey, must kind of realize that even if he were to get in foul trouble sometimes, it's you kind of have to play him and just kind of roll with it and hope for the best. But I think because he's been able to stay out of foul trouble, that's very important. And I think it actually is good for Arkansas because, I mean, look, in the what New Mexico State game, he played all 40 minutes. That may be harder to do given the matchup here, but they're going to need him on the floor as much as possible given you know who he's going up against. So I think Jalen Williams is definitely a big key to this when you look at the matchup. Speaking of foul trouble, I mean, J.D. Note has gotten in foul trouble a lot recently, and I think that's one where he just cannot afford to do that necessarily in this game. Now, you know, it's one of those things where I think you look at it, again, he's still playing a lot of minutes, but I think they're going to have to have him on the floor here for 35 plus minutes to have a chance to probably win this game, even though they can kind of offset some of that scoring elsewhere you know, whether that is Stanley and Moody stepping up or, you know, Audie Stoney, we know is kind of that versatile guy that can pretty much do everything for him. So Arkansas has got a very interesting rotation in that they got a bunch of guys who are really good at something. They kind of specialize in that one area that you really need them to have to build like the complete team. It's not a deep team. So that's why I think getting in foul trouble here is something that they just cannot afford. But really, Greg, when we look at it, right, this is not a Gonzaga team that's necessarily shot a lot of free throws this season. And we're on the flip side. Arkansas has. So 
Can Arkansas get to the line? I think if they can, they're going to have an opportunity need to try to get those bigs for Gonzaga with Timmy and Ongren, those guys in foul trouble. But I think this is a game where for Arkansas, it's got to be one in the paint because they can't shoot the three very well. And I think that's kind of a common theme for all of the SEC this season. If you saw the stat I put out, just a bad shooting league. So I think that's it. They're going to need to be able to get those points inside. They're going to be able to drive and get it to Jalen Williams and have Note finishing at the rim. If they can do that, which is a lot easier said than done, I think it's probably a more interesting game than people would think. I do agree with you as well on that. I do think that Arkansas, out of all the teams in the SEC, they've been one of the ones that have been able to travel the best as well. And I think that that's key because I still remember we wound up having that set of the top four teams in the SEC going 63-1 and one yeah. at home. And maybe that should have been a little bit of a warning sign that these teams are a little bit different at home than on the road. Because as we know, Arkansas, the only team remaining in the Sweet 16. And I do think that there might be a little bit of something to that, obviously, for this year. Now, moving forward, who knows what winds up happening there? Because, like I said, we wind up having six brand new coaches in this league, a lot of which are coming from mid-major programs, of which they're always on the road. So I think that that could be reversing itself for next season in the SEC. But how much maybe should it have been a warning sign that these teams in the SEC were just winning all these games at home and not necessarily so much on the road? You know, that was one of the biggest things. And when we were doing our previews going into it, we said, listen, this is going to be kind of a defining moment here because they were so dominant at home this season. And it's the question of, all right, if these teams come out and don't play well, they're certainly going to have to be that discussion of were they just so good at home? And listen, Greg, you know this too, and we've talked about this over the years. The SEC, like it or not, has been sort of a league that has kind of set the pace when it comes to fouls and free throws attempted in conference play in recent seasons. I think that's something else too to consider is if you are having that edge at home, is that because you're just having a lot of opportunities to go to the free throw line? These are very physical games because, again, you don't have a lot of teams that can shoot it great from three. So you get a lot of that physicality in the paint to where there are more free throw shots. There's more fouls called. And, you know, the NCAA tournament is called differently because you're not playing another SEC team necessarily. And it's kind of how is the game called? And that is one where I think we've seen that in a couple of these instances where teams have maybe not gotten the calls they would expect going to the rim. And so, all right, we're going to take a few more threes. Well, the data suggests that you shouldn't be doing that. And yet I think we saw that with a couple of these teams, you know, in the SEC. I mean, look at. Tennessee, right? I mean, Tennessee was the best three-point shooting team in the SEC this season. I think they were top 85 somewhere in there nationally, and they have their worst shooting performance of the season against Michigan. And if you take that element away, and if you're not able to kind of get your offense elsewhere, what do you do? And I think that is just kind of with the SEC teams, the top four, it has been disappointing, certainly for three of the four. The other one still has a chance to certainly make a run here, but that is another storyline. The away-from-home play, Some of the teams just did not play well down the stretch. Some of those games, I mean, I think Auburn is the team that everyone would point out in that scenario, but it's disappointing. There's no way to look at it, but I think the SEC kind of has to look in the mirror and wonder, well, the way our games are are played or necessarily maybe the way our games are called, because it is a league that kind of is based around physicality, athleticism, and those kind of things, is it going to be something where this could become a trend? I think, you know, maybe it's more of just the randomness of the NCAA tournament or is it a little more to that? So we'll see. Yep, I am right there with you. And I think that it's going to be very interesting to take a look at how Arkansas does against Gonzaga. And 
what we wind up getting this next season with the SEC as well, because I know that that's really the next thing that you're going to be covering, Blake. I know that you do some work also when it comes to college baseball as well over there at Southeastern 14. I know that you guys are doing absolutely amazing work. You've got the Lockdown SEC podcast. You've got the Marching to Bandits podcast. Your work is never done. You do a great job out there in the offseason as well. And I know you've had a front row seat to Chris Jans over the last few years with regards to Mississippi State as well. So I'm sure that you're going to be lending your insights as to what Mississippi State is going to be doing moving forward with him. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that's on tap for you moving forward. Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, at southeastern14.com, you can check it all out there. Yeah, our daily SEC basketball stuff we do over there, and obviously we'll have a lot more Written stuff in the offseason, kind of looking at these coaching hires. Of course, Greg, as you know, the transfer portal never stops. Players transferring all over the place. So plenty of those in and out in the SEC as well. We'll have all that covered. Of course, Arkansas against Gonzaga. All that good stuff you can find at southeastern14.com. And for everything else, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at the Blake Bubble. Blake does absolutely amazing work when it comes to looking at college basketball. He takes a few conferences over there for the Blue Ribbon yearbook every single year as well. So he's going to be starting on that sooner rather than later. <laughs> and I'm sure that he's going to be very fascinated to see what we wind up getting out of Texas A&M on Wednesday as well. So they're going to be playing in the NIT. And that's what we're going to be hitting next. I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we some bank shots on the other side right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now a part of the Beeson family of podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Tears, and now a part of the Beeson family of podcasts. And it is always great to get Blake Lovell on the podcast. We've got a lot going down in the SEC right now. Six different coaches have been hired within the last seven days, so he's busy with that. Got a nice preview of Arkansas as well, and once the season does wind up wrapping up, this podcast does not wind up going on hiatus because then we take a look forward to next season. Trust me, we'll be doing a lot more deep diving into these coaching moves, the transfer portal, because the college basketball season does not wind up ending. Though games are not being played, bets are won in February and March. They're won through great preparation and taking a look at everything in the offseason. So a big thanks to Blake for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for those college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUNIT underscore D1. We've only got four games today. We've got the two games in the NIT, we've got the CBI game, and then we go to the College Basketball Classic. So let's get started with the NIT. 617-618 on the betting board. Texas A&M is back to being a favorite against Wake Forest. Wake Forest is anywhere between a 2.5 and a, a 3-point underdog. So this game is anywhere between 146.5 and, and 147. And I wound up setting my line at 2.5. So I'm going to be taking a look at a 3-year with Wake Forest. I'd rather take 2.5 rather than lay 2.5 personally. But certainly going to be trying to be able to jump in on a 3 here Because this is a Wake Forest team that has been able to do a solid job with Alondis Williams. 
really taking hold of the offense. 19 points, right around six half boards and five assists per contest. And then Jake Lariva has been able to give you 15 points, six half boards. Guy that shoots 39% from three now. We've seen a little bit of a fall off with this three point shooting percentage away from home, but this is also a Texas A&M team that they turned the ball over 13 and a half times per contest. They've been a little bit shaky with regards to their outside shooting, making only about 33.5% of their threes. Now, you do have a Texas A&M team that has really been able to rise up with regards to their defensive efficiency. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, this is a team that's clocking in right around 51st. It's a Wake Forest team that sometimes they do wind up giving up the points, but a lot of that is because they're a team that they play up-tempo. They're in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. Wake Forest, even with that up-tempo style, right around 75th with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. And when it comes to Texas A&M, you've got Quinn Jackson giving you 14.5 points per contest, but you really don't have too many headline scores. Tyrese Radford is the only guy out of their guys that average more than six points per contest that is shooting above 36.5% from three. He makes 42% of his threes. Ian Henry Coleman the third combined for 22 points, 12 rebounds per game. You've been noticing a little bit more recently out of Hassan Diaria. Guy that has been a little bit up and down for the team, but guy that has scored 12 plus points in two of the team's last four contests. And then you take a look at Wake Forest and what I think is big for them is having Tabari Monsanto in the fold. Seven half points on 40% three-point shooting. Isaiah Musias along Dallas Walton. These guys will give you right around nine and a half points per contest. Both of these teams are well-rounded. Texas A&M is actually playing a little bit more up-tempo this season. Both of these teams relatively solid on defense, but both of these teams are really looking to push the pace, and I do think that you're going to get a higher scoring affair in this one. Semi-total of 148.5. I'm looking over with Texas A&M. I ultimately do think that they're going to be able to get the job done, but the fact that they shoot sub-70% at the free line has me a little bit worried about this number. Meanwhile, Wake Forest, they shoot more around 73.5% at the free line with three other top four scores, shooting at least 77.5% at the charity stripe. So, we'll take two and a half plus here with Wake Forest, and we're going to be taking a look at the over. 619-620 is the other NIT game. Washington State it's the road faceoff against BYU. BYU is a favorite of three points, and your total is between 142 and 142.5. Set my line at two. So, once again, a case in which I'm not really going to be taking a look at the money line with the underdog, but I do want the points here, and when it comes to Washington State, they've been able to do a very solid job on defense when you take a look at the way that they have really been able to shape things up towards the back half of the season. It has been nice. 33rd in the country. The guards points a lot on a per-possession basis, and it's a BYU team that they turn the ball over right around 12 and a half times per contest. That's a little bit less than satisfactory. BYU outside the top 85 with the guards points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they're going to have the best score out there. That would be Alex Barcel, a guy that in his last three years, combined in the last three seasons, has been shooting right around 46-47% from three-point range 17 points per contest. This 42.5% from three this season is actually a fall-off for him, which is just absolutely insane. But he's been doing a good job of being able to dish out the ball. He has been able to give you a combined 15 assists in the last three contests. Then you've got down low a pair of guys in Fusani Trayer, along Gideon George that have been very solid for this team. These two guys combined to be able to give you right around 18.5 points per contest. Trayer, 8.5 rebounds. And George is shooting 35.5% from three-point range. But it's a BYU team that they really don't force a lot of turnovers. It's a Washington a team that when they're able to take care of the ball, this is a team that they're able to be relatively effective with Michael Flowers, Cyrocos Roberts combining for 25 and a half points per contest, five and a half assists. You've got Roberts shooting 94% at the free line, by the way, and Mohamed Gay had been a little bit banged up. He is back at the fold. The guy that's able to give you seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. So that's going to be able to help out this team down the line. I always like Andre Yagbovsky. He's very inconsistent because there are just some times in which he winds up getting 25 plus minutes, and in the last two games in the NIT, 
Kentucky, and you combine 20 minutes. If he winds up getting minutes as a guy that's able to give you right around 40% three-point shooting as a six foot eight combo player, I like what he's able to bring to the table for this team. And then you take a look at TJ Bamba towards back half of the season. He's been solid. 10 plus points in four of the last five contests. A guy that doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Shoots right around 35.5% for three. That falls to more around 26% from distance. So I do think that you're going to see Washington State play a little bit more of a defensive style in this one. I think that both of these teams are going to be having a little bit of a tough time putting the ball in the basket. I ultimately think that BYU, with this game being in Provo, I have a little bit of an edge. So do you mind if saying my line at two? Willing to take BYU outright, but here on the spread, going to be taking the three with Washington State. Semi-total once again at 140, so looking under as well. Now we go to the CBI game. This is 621-622. We've got no numbers up on this game. Probably going to be coming in the AM between UNC Wilmington and Middle Tennessee. I said my handicap, Middle Tennessee being a three and a half point favorite. It's a Middle Tennessee team that has been a completed under wagon this season. 26 7 and 1 against the spread. No other team is above 71% against the spread. And that'd be the St. Peter's Peacocks, who we're seeing what they're doing in the NCAA tournament. They're a peacock. In the words of Mark Wahlberg, we've got to let them fly. But with that said, you've got yourself a Middle Tennessee team that is going to be still without their top scorer and Josh Jefferson. But even without him, they've been able to do a solid job. They were down double digits in their game yesterday against Abilene Christian, and they were able to regroup. They were able to do a solid job. A team that they shoot right around 33-ish percent from three-point range, but with that said, what they do a very solid job of is being able to pickpocket. Each of your top four scores are going to be available for this game. Give you at least a seal per game with Middle Tennessee. It's a team that also shoots right around 76-ish percent at the free throw line, and then you take a look at the flip side for UNC Wilmington. They're a team that they do a good job of ball control as well. Only about 10 and a half turnovers for contest. Middle Tennessee, they turn the ball over more like 13 times per game, but Middle Tennessee comes up with a couple more swipes than UNC Wilmington. Wilmington is a team that gets right around 7.7 seals per game and with Wilmington, balance scoring at the top especially from three-point range. Each of your top four scores should anywhere between 34.4 and 35.6% from three-point range. Michael Kuro, Shaquem Phillips, these guys give you a combined 25 points per contest. Jalen Sims, Satchi suffers 16 points, five and a half boards, two and a half assists per game and then Jalen Florence gets into a little bit of foul trouble but he's able to give you right around eight points as a nice off-the-bench sort of score, and then I do like what you're able to get out of James Baker as well. He's a 6'7 combo player to be able to chip in there at 7.5 points per game. A guy that actually gives you right around a block and a half per contest at 6'7, so he's been solved with that regard, but Middle Tennessee, I do think that this is a team that by committee is going to be able to rebound a little bit better. DeAndre Dishman has been able to do a very solid job with that aspect, being able to give you right around 5 boards per contest, and then Cameron Wesson has really been able to come on towards the back half of the season as well. A guy that wound up having 8 assists yesterday, and take a look at it, he's had at least three assists and now six of the team's last seven contests so it's done a good job of being able to dole out the ball for a Middle Tennessee team that they do a good job of being able to play tough tenacious defense. This is a Wilmington team that they're right around league average right around the mid 160s, 170s with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. This is a Middle Tennessee team that they do a little bit of a better job on that aspect with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. You're seeing this MTSU team clocking in in the top one hour with that regard. So I do think that Middle Tennessee going to be able to get the job down in this spot. I did wind up saying them as a three and a half point favorite. Got a Middle Tennessee team that ranks in the top 100 with regards to possessions per game. A UNC Wilmington team that they rank in the bottom 100. I do think that you're going to get a little bit of fouling in this game. So I did wind up shading this up a little bit higher. Middle Tennessee in a road and neutral court environment allowing right around 13 and a half points more per 100 possession. So semi-total at a 143 and a half. And made Middle Tennessee a three and a half point favorite. And we wrap things up with my DK Nation pick. 873, 874 on the betting board. Got the basketball classic between 
Fresno State and Youngstown State. Youngstown State, a 13.5 to a 14-point underdog. And your totals any between 130 and 130 and a half. DK Nation pick is going to be taking the points with our good friends of Penguins. It warms my heart because I want to be able to use the little gif of a penguin running and saying, I'm on my way! Because there's nothing better than that in life. Because you've got yourself the Youngstown State Penguins who have been able to do a very solid job of being able to mix and match with having Garrett Covington out of the fold for pretty much the entirety of the season. Tevin Olsen along Dwayne Coyle have been able to combine for 27 points per contest. Coyle shooting 42% from three and Olsen 36.5% from distance and they're going up against the Fresno State team that in their last three games they've shot right around 23.5% from three point range. Now Fresno State is by far the most dominant player out there on the floor. That would be seven foot Orlando Robinson. 19.5 points, eight rebounds. Able to shoot 34% from three point range and then you take a look at Isaiah Hill and Finney Holland. These two guys combined for about 20 points per contest and Holland shoots to his credit 43.5% from three point range. But what Youngstown State does a good job of is free throw shooting. They're in the top 30 in all of college basketball that regard. A little bit over 75% at the charity stripe. Shamir Rathan Mays has been able to be a good sharpshooter as well, making 40% of his threes to go along with eight points per contest. You do have Michael Cucci down low. He's able to give you eight rebounds, 13.5 points per contest. He's going to have a little bit of a tough time against the size of Orlando Robinson. But with that said, this is a Fresno State team that they don't necessarily do a great job of being able to pickpocket. Youngstown State has been able to do a solid job of being able to give themselves some offensive rebounds. Meanwhile, Fresno State, this is one of your better rebound rate teams in all of college basketball with Holland being able to give you six rebounds per game. I think that Fresno State wins the battle down low, but with Fresno State, how slowly they play, 354th with the guards' possessions per game, it makes covering a number like this so difficult. And Youngstown State has been a relatively scrappy team. They've been halfway decent with regards to a defensive efficiency standpoint. And Youngstown State is a team that they've been able to put up 70 plus points in five out of their last six games. I certainly don't think that that's going to be the case here. I think that this is going to be a game that's going to be very slow, very grimy, but Youngstown State, I think, is going to be able to get some open looks, be able to keep this game close. Semi number 10.5, DK Nation pick. It's going to be taking the points with the Youngstown State. I also set my total at 125.5, so diving under as well, and that will wrap things up. For the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts, a big thanks to our man Blake Lovell doing great work over there at Southeastern 14 for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.